0: We finished the gig and I um, went back to the little hotel room that we were staying in and I woke up at 3am in the morning and I thought it was a smoke alarm.
1: What he was hearing was a tone the same piercing pitch and loudness as a smoke alarm, but constant.
0: And I wandered around the hotel completely sort of oblivious. I thought, what's gone off here? Is it an alarm? Is it a smoke alarm? What is it? And it was not getting louder or softer in any capacity and I blocked my ears knowing, oh my God, it's coming from inside my head. (laughs) It was really, really scary. It was really, really horrible.
1: Did
0: you know what it was? No, I didn't.
1: Mick, a full-time musician, had been struck by tinnitus.
0: Uh, I'd damaged the nerves in my ears and so I had screaming tinnitus and ear sensitivity, which was just a nightmare.
1: Mick was woefully misdiagnosed by his GP and it took several weeks before he found a specialist who understood the condition. He was tested and told...
0: And he said, oh, look, you will get better. The nerves will repair themselves. And I said, oh, well, what's the estimation on that? And he said, two years absolute minimum, maybe up to five. You know, who knows, he said. Two
1: years minimum, maybe as many as five, and no guitar... Not even acoustic guitar for at least a year. In the immediate term, this meant cancelling all the gigs he had lined up with his blues duo, Mick Dog's Boneyard.
0: Uh, we'd been booked up for twelve months with gigs we were off to tour in we'd been invited to St. Petersburg and Atlanta and London. Um, so we'd been invited to some fairly interesting places to record and play and, and it was great. And we, we were having a ball and then it's just turned off <laughs> you know, overnight. That was all gone absolutely overnight.
1: Mick's gigging future went dark. He retreated.
0: I was living out in a tiny little micro house out in the middle of the silent bush. So I'd go home to this quiet house and we'd just have this screaming in my ears and it was starting to, it was really starting to affect my uh, mental health. So I'd lost something that I'd been working at for years and years and years. Anyway, so what had happened is there's a little mechanism in the ear that had been damaged which meant that there was no filter between outside sound and my brain. And you'd feel, it was physically, it was weird. I wouldn't wish it on anybody, it was a horrible feeling. So the sensitivity to of well, my ears was that I had to, I was using plastic cutlery and plastic knives and forks because I couldn't stand the chink of metal and things. And, and you can't go anywhere where there's noise. So you can't go to the cinema, you can't walk down the street. You, if you go to social occasions, you actually have to wear earplugs. So you can't hear what anybody's saying. So apart from having this screaming noise in your head, you're also protectively deaf. Chronic tinnitus is a, is a dreadful thing. It drives people mad. It really does, literally drives people mad. It's awful stuff.
1: Sadly, this is no exaggeration. When Mick put the word around about why he'd so suddenly stopped playing and teaching he found out there were loads of others right there in his music community with some form of tinnitus or the screaming.
0: So in those three years, I had two people that said, yeah, I've got it. And uh, yeah, they both took themselves out. They couldn't handle it. They couldn't handle it anymore.
1: Of those fellow sufferers Mick uncovered, two of them believing they'd have to live with their conditions, having been told by GPs they had no hope of improvement. Those two guys ultimately took their own lives.
0: Because it doesn't stop, it never stops. It's 24 hours a day. Last thing you hear before you go to bed, first thing you hear when you, go to, when you wake up in the morning, and it's all day, every day.
1: When the specialist told Mick he was a candidate for recovery, he said there was something Mick could do to get rid of the phantom noise. He could ignore it. To me, this is the most frustrating advice a doctor could give but it made sense to Mick.
0: You have to imagine it's like somebody flicking you in the eye all day and the only way they'll stop is to completely ignore it. (laughs) And so I just went, well, I need a little distraction. The only way this is going to heal is if I stop thinking about it, stop paying attention to it. I decided to get a little dog.
1: This is Oh My Dog. I'm Michelle Ransom-Hughes and this is the story of Mick and Frankie. Mick's partner back then had a dog she'd rescued from what sounded very much like a puppy farm.
0: What we assume is a puppy farm, legally I don't know whether that's the case, but I know the dogs were, you know, when when she got Sophie, who was a Cocker Spaniel, she'd obviously had a number of litters and she's a very traumatised animal. It you know, took her a, a year to not just hide under the table and shake when a stranger walked into the room.
1: Mick's partner also had an unusual hobby combing through websites, newspapers and notice boards for animals.
0: Her sole delight in this world is to find people, pets that match them. She's and a pet matchmaker. She's a pet matchmaker um, and she's done it for so many of my friends. So I said Oh to her, I think, I'm thinking of getting a dog, can you employ your you know, extraordinary skills?
1: Then there was an ad in the local paper a Cocker Spaniel was for sale from the same place where little trembling Sophie had been rescued. Mick was told...
0: Even if it's not the dog for you, we have to go out and, and get her because this is it's a terrible place. We have to go out and rescue her. So we drove out to Warborough, which is uh, in Victoria. We got out there and just house out in the country, poorly fenced... Piles and piles of dog excrement everywhere, This smell of panic and fear all over the place, dogs slinking around the place. And this woman came out with Frankie in her arms, and Frankie was doing that that stress panting, you know, where they take really short breaths. And this woman, every now and then, would grab her by the tongue. She came out and I said, oh, so this is a little dog? And she said, yeah, it is. And I said, oh, okay, look, I'll, I'll, I'll just take her. I think she wanted $400 for Frankie, and I just gave her the money. But before she would hand it over, she then burst into tears, and she gave me the whole story about how her husband had had all these dogs that he was breeding with, and then he something went wrong with there, and then there was domestic violence where she and her son had been physically abused, and then uh, this fellow would just take the best of their dogs and vanish, and then. Frankie had been one of those dogs that he'd taken and vanished with and she didn't know where uh, Frankie was and then one day came home and just found two dogs chucked over the fence that was Frankie and then he'd driven off with other dogs. A
1: truly grim scene. But Mick thinks the woman had good intentions for the dogs, which was why she was trying to get them off the property.
0: This is maybe from a 25-minute encounter, but my my assumption was that the woman was actually really attached to her dogs, she really loved her dogs, she looked after them, but was just in this situation where dogs that were you know no longer useful or getting old would just vanish, you know uh, new dogs would arrive.
1: Whatever the truth of the situation, little Frankie didn't put up much of a fight about being handed over to Mick.
0: Cocker spaniels are naturally a very gentle animal, but she did the closest thing to a bite that she could muster, which was to just put her teeth on my hand and then quickly withdraw that because she was just terrified. She hadn't had a litter. So we don't know how old she was, but we imagine twenty year, two years. And
1: so they drove away from the property, Mick cradling Frankie in his arms.
0: She's a little tricolor, so she had eyebrows, which is extraordinary. And she was just, you know, in that panting, terrified state. You know, she was skinny, and her fur was bloody. I don't think she'd ever had a wash. She was crawling with fleas. I mean, crawling. You could, you could, you could watch them through her fur. Because I'd never had a dog before, I didn't know what to do, and suddenly I had a dog that was really deeply damaged, you know? And so she came home and I took her in a little micro house and I made her something to eat and she didn't touch it, she didn't eat for the best part of two weeks when I was there, so... And I was ending up feeding her bloody lamb chops just so she'd eat things, you know. It was a softie. And I, I sat her down in a little house and I got down to her level and I said to her, look, I don't know you and you don't know me, so I, I totally get it, but you're safe. I said, I'm not going to hurt you. I'm not going to yell at you. I said, you're safe. Whatever's happened, it's all in the past. You're here now. I'll look after you. I'll always make sure that you're warm and fed and I'll make sure that there's no dramas I said, but I just want you to know that you are safe.
1: Were you patting her when you were talking
0: to her? No, 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 no. We were both just sitting on the ground. And she was literally sitting there listening. (laughs) And the minute I finished that, that was it. Like that that night she came up on the couch and, and snuggled in and fell asleep on me.
1: And there it was. To build Frankie's trust in him, Mick made sure they went everywhere together for the first month?
0: It was tricky because, you know, if you left her in the car, she'd panic. If you took her to meet anybody else, she'd panic. Um, if you took her to a, a, you know, a little sort of social occasion, she would hide. She would hide behind me and and shake, or she would just hide under something. She would just find something to hide under, you know, and people would sort of offer to you know, make friends with her, you know, little treats and pats and things like that, and she would just be completely suspicious.
1: She was tricky around other dogs too.
0: And because she was so sort of protective of me, she'd just give other dogs the complete shits, do you know what I mean, like, you know, and would growl and would, would put them... So that, and other dogs would go, I'm just being friendly, I'm just, we're all being friendly here. And so she'd miss a lot of social cues because she hadn't been socialised.
1: Mick reckons he and Frankie were pretty much made for each other.
0: We kind of looked similar. We had the sort of same eyes and we liked the same dinners and we kind of like the same, well, we like people, but, you know, it'll be good to see you again. Do you want know to I mean? Like, you know, so I've had a lovely day. Uh, well, well, let's not get sick of each other, you know. So, you know, Frankie and I both like solitude and we're, she, she was a great dog for me. I found it terrific. And she's a hilarious dog, you know. She's running around, everything's hilarious. Tennis balls are hilarious, walks are hilarious. She'd never really left um, the farm that she was on, so there were so many things that she would encounter for the first time. And you could see her brain processing it. I mean, the first time she she encountered water, she just saw the surface and and walked out on it and then realised she was wet and flipped out.
1: With all that was going on for Mick hilarious it was definitely welcome
0: it's that wonderful thing too where you go to bed and there's a there's a snoring dog next to you and that's really nice to give a little pat, and, and that's lovely and because you're thinking about something else you're not thinking about the noise in your head and so a little just a little mate a little companion you know and when it would get on top of you when you just you know spend a day you know just sort of crying just to let it all out at the frustration of it all there's somebody there that says oh the, look I understand you're upset and well, I don't understand that you're upset, but I understand you're loud and wet at the moment. Can I have my dinner? <laughs> and it really does bring you out of any sense of self-pity or so any sense of of wallowing. You've got a little creature that's really good at just bringing, grounding you, and that was great.
1: So she wasn't one of those dogs that would come and comfort you. She just wanted dinner.
0: Pretty much. And I really empathise with that. I really understand that. You know, there's only so much she can say, and she would come and, you know, sort of and she would often do that funny little cocked head and look at me and go, oh, I can tell you're upset, but oh, you, what do you want me to do, you know? Like, I'm, I'm your dog, you know? I can't, really, I can't really talk you through it. And that's, that's okay, man, that's fine, you know? Um, but, well, let's go for a walk. And that was really nice too because, like I say, when you get the self-pities, there's nothing... I think one of the best ways to get out of it is, is to go for a walk.
1: And so they did. They walked and they walked in the bush near their place. And as time passed, Mick could use the sounds of the Enfield forest as a gauge to measure against how loud the noise in his head, the tinnitus, was.
0: It's because it's so dominant. Once it begins to recede, the little things you begin to hear are just wonderful. There's motorbikes and there's people chopping wood and and there's birds. But you, you hear things like... The dripping of the forest after rain. Ponds have formed and cockspangles love through, you know, splash splattered sort of muddy ponds. You come across other sort of walkers. You hear the crunching of the ground under your boots. It's a whole lot of sounds. You hear the the leaves moving in the wind. It sounds really responsive to climate in the country. So on the hot days, it's it's really quite still. Nothing sort of moves. You know, if you're lucky, you'll hear something dry out and break off and sort of fall down. But that that crunching of your thing, and like I saying, there's little dogs that sort are of running around sniffing at things. And occasionally you hear the thud of a kangaroo that's noticed you and it sort of just jumps off into the distance from there. And in winter, there's the splashing of the puddles. You know, it's your own internal dialogue because you've been caught out in the rain. You're going, oh, how wet am I going to get? And the fact that you can here, the fact that one of your senses is actually starting to operate normally again or, or some sense of normalcy, it's just the most wonderful thing.
1: All this Ross Creek serenity was just too good to last.
0: When I, um, I began working another job, which meant that I had to spend long periods of time away So it meant that Frankie was by herself in a little house out in the country all day and and that hadn't been the case. And she was starting to develop a bit of separation anxiety there.
1: Then, another change. Mick's relationship had ended and after a time he met and fell madly in love
0: with a jeweller named Rachel. And so I was starting to spend more nights in Ballarat and um, Frankie was starting to be by herself because... My new partner had a dog called Nav, who's a Staffy Cross, and he's he's, he's a one-dog dude, you know. Um, Nav's a lovely bloke, but he finds it very difficult to get along with other blokes, and he is very territorial and very protective of rage. Bought Frankie in, Nav latched onto her, <laughs> like latched onto her. <laughs> and we, we've seen Nav do this with other dogs. Um, he We've seen him do it with puppies. He's not aggressive, he's just dominant. He's a dominant male. and this is his house and this is how it worked from there. And I, you know, I kind of went, am I going to come home and find my Cocker Spaniel with one ear? We had a chat and we decided that we wanted to move in together. So you've got a slightly neurotic Cocker Spaniel that you've spent a year getting up to some level of normalcy. And then we both run a business from home, which means that there's lots of people that come in the house. There's lots of change here. There's lots of people coming through. And so I just went, God, I don't think Frankie's going to cope. I think Nav's going to be a nightmare and she's going to bark at everything that moves, you know, in Ballarat and it's just going to exacerbate the problem. And in a new relationship, you want things to go as smoothly as as it possibly can. And so I had to sit back and go, well, what do I do here? You know, what do I do?
1: What he did was call his mum. By this time, Mick's mum had been caring for Frankie quite a bit and had grown to love her. But no, she couldn't take on a dog permanently. She did, however, have a wide circle of friends and said she'd put the word out that Frankie needed a home.
0: The night that I said to my mum, look, I'm I'm thinking that I might have to re-home Frankie, and it was heartbreaking to think like that, my mum was talking to one of her friends at tennis.
1: When out of the blue, this friend of his mother's said...
0: You don't know anybody who's got a two to three year old Cocker Spaniel to you. I've got a friend that's just had um, a second child. She's a stay at home mum. She's got a big property down in the Bellerin Peninsula. Uh, She's got a big Labrador and she's looking for a little Cocker Spaniel to be part of their family. (laughs) And so it just seemed like an extraordinary coincidence. Um, So I got in touch with this woman and she was just delightful. She spoils her dogs rotten and... And so I came home and had a bit of a think about it, and I sort of thought, look, all things being equal, you know, that's probably a better place for Frankie to go um, because it means that she wouldn't be in here, you know, fretting and Nav had a, a hurt her in any way, shape or form. I, I, I don't know. At the time I had to make a decision and that was the decision I made and I decided to rehome her. Yeah, so I, I drove down to Geelong and up until that day, no one else could touch her. And that first time she met her new owner, she went up and allowed herself to be patted and went for a little walk with that person with no... And I'd never seen that before, And you know? So it made me think that there'd been some, I don't know, rehabilitative process going on there, you know. She was... A bit wild when I first got her, and in a year, you know, she she was sitting and walking on the leash, and all those little niceties and manners that you hope for in a dog, you know, it was lovely. You it know, mixed finishing school. That's exactly right. That's what it was like. It's one of those things, you know. It's I mean, it's that you know, if you love something, you have to let it go. You have to if you you want what's best. I really wanted what was best for her, so I gave her to these new people, and and it was the best thing for her.
1: As it had been on Frankie's first night, so it was on the last day. Mick had a word as she was being loaded into the new family's car.
0: I just said to her, I love you to bits. Um, I said, you've been the best little dog um, that I ever could have hoped for. Um, and I said, I want you to be good and I want you to help these people as much as you've helped me. And I just said thank you. I just said thank you to her. And I know that's silly and sentimental, but I just said thank you. And I said, you're just going to your forever home now. I just, there's, there's a tremendous thing in, in dogs, which I think is, is amazing. They're, they just help so much in so many situations. They really do. And if you ask for help, dogs just give it to you. They really do. And, and it's, a, it's an extraordinary thing that such a thing exists.
1: Mick will admit to a little online stalking of Frankie, even now.
0: Every now and then on the Cocker Spaniel page on Facebook, she comes up and and I try not to, I just go, oh, that's great, you know, that's really good. And I've had contact with the people and she's, you know, happy and and fat and she's got ribbons in her hair and she's got a big fat Labrador brother and she's got a family to love and she runs along the beach and and they adore her, they absolutely adore her, and she is spoilt rotten, you know? So she's finally got, you know, a home. I still think I made the right decision. I mean, I miss her. I miss her dreadfully. I still miss her every day, you know? But I'm really glad that I was able to get her off the really terrible situation that she was in, which was awful, and she would have just become a puppy factory.
1: Mick's also in a good place. His tinnitus is minimal, manageable, his hearing's almost back to normal, and so he can play gigs again, low-key ones. And Mick and Rachel's dog, Nav, have come to an agreement.
0: When I moved in here, he was Boss Cockatoo. He ran the joint, and we'd never talk about that. <laughs> and, and Nav, in the time that I've been here, a couple of years now, has become one of the most... Uh, polite, um, obedient, mannered and friendly animals I've ever come across. I was, I've got to admit, I was a bit resentful of him when I first moved in. I um, blamed him a little bit, you know, which is stupid. It's, it's nothing to do with him. Oh. oh, well, just for being aggressive towards Frankie and having to make that decision. You know. But it took me about six months to a year to get him to just be as uh, look and I know I'm probably biased but I reckon he's about as close to a perfect dog as I've come across he's a really lovely dog
1: huge thanks to Mick Trembath for sharing his story about Frankie special thanks to Rachel and Nav for having me around to record if you want to find out more about tinnitus or depression, you can find links on our website, ohmydogpodcast.com. There are pictures of Frankie and Nav there too. Just to let you know, Mick did report the suspected puppy farm to the authorities and it's being watched. Oh My Dog is produced by me, Michelle Ransom-Hughes, for Alongside Radio, with original music and sound design by Saya Vogel, script consulting Lee Redfern. Stay listening after the song as an update about Frankie. Browsing the Bellarine Peninsula Cocker Spaniel Fanciers' Facebook page when he saw a photo of Frankie on a missing dog post.
0: Somebody had smashed a lock and he um, stolen it. And so the whole Cocker Spaniel Fanciers crew down at the Bellarine Peninsula mounted this big search party... And, uh, yeah, they eventually found her and returned her in about a 48-hour period. It was it was great. It was like a Disney movie or something like that. You know, it finally gets her forever home, but, you know, and, of course, her owners were destroyed, but she's just, like I say, returned home and apparently adores warm porridge. So, yeah, she, she ate sort of warm porridge and had a sleep, and, you know, there's all the photos of tears and love. So to know that she's in a family where not... Not only the family went looking for her, an entire community, a whole neighborhood of people, you know, there were 50 or 60 people out all looking for her. Makes me think she's in a very good place.